the truth about sin, next on Abounding Grace. Sin always destroys. Be careful not to be self-deceived into thinking that only a little bit of sin is okay or only a little bit of compromise is okay and nobody else is getting hurt. It's just between me and God. Well, in the beginning there, you're being hurt, but I guarantee you, your sin has vast consequences to everyone that you touch and a few people that you don't even know yet. Sin is always harmful, always devastating. And you know, Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know that our old man was crucified so that the body of sin might be rendered inoperative, put out of business. This is amazing grace. Romans chapter 6 tells us we are no longer under sin's dominion. As believers in Christ, we are now under new management, and that in Christ we are free from sin's power. That should excite and motivate you. Today on Abounding Grace, we learn that we're no longer a slave to sin as Christians. Pastor Ed Taylor brings Romans chapter 6 and verses 5 through 11 into focus. First, Pastor Ed introduces us to a religious man named Nicodemus. We meet a man by the name of Nicodemus in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious ruler. He had a religious training, and he was troubled. Jesus coming on the scene troubled him. He was concerned. All of his religious teaching were called into question. All of his religious upbringing were called into question. He was struggling. He was wrestling, and he wanted to understand what is going on. If this has been the entirety of my life and my life has been dedicated to God and what I hear from my rabbis and what I hear from Jesus don't seem to match, he's a troubled man. He doesn't really know what to do, but he makes a good decision. We find him coming to Jesus in chapter three of John's gospel. Pick up with me in verse one. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. Do you know that this is the first episode of Nick at Night. <laughs> I wanted to use that one early just to make sure while you're with me, I want to make sure you're listening, you're all here together. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he wants a dialogue. He wants to ask Jesus some questions. He wants to have this wrestling, this difficulty cleared up in his heart. And it says that he came to him at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What a struggle. He is between a rock and a hard place and he comes to the right person and asks the right question. He says, everything about you, Jesus, tells us that you have come from God. And at the same time, what's not said there is everything about you, Jesus, is telling me that I was raised the wrong way that I have misunderstood God's heart, that, that here I am, I'm a Pharisee, I wanna serve you, I, I wanna give my life to God, but Jesus, you're, you're saying things that what I've heard that you're telling me something different and you're doing things that, that obviously God is with you and Jesus answers in verse three, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, 
unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mark those words, born again. I want you to notice that born again, that phrase to describe a person that has faith in Jesus Christ came from Jesus and not man. There's much to be said that, well, you know, that you, you, guys are, you, you guys have made that up. You have to be born again. You might be sharing the gospel with someone, right? And, and you're telling them about your life in Jesus Christ. You're, they see a Bible on your desk. They notice that you pray. And they'll ask you, are you a Christian? You go, yeah, I'm born again. And then they'll say something like, oh, you're not one of the born againers, are you? Let me tell you, next time somebody says that to you, you can answer them. Listen, there is no other kind of Christian but a born again Christian. Jesus said this. He said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no other kind, only born again. There's a point of departure for the person that's born again. We've learned Paul defines it as the old man has died. There's a new man now. The old woman has died. And now being born again, you are a new creation in Christ. You're a new creature. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's what Paul says. There is no other kind of Christian but a born-again Christian, even though it has become a cliche. You'll hear people refer to all sorts of things as being born again when it really doesn't have anything to do with what they did. You know, they'll have somebody go up and they had a good ski trip and they go, oh man, I was born again on the slopes. Or, you know, they'll go up and hug a tree and oh, I was born again on that tree. And they'll chew some leaves and have some herbs and they're all born again. But I'll tell you, unless they have new life from God from above by faith in Jesus Christ, they're using that phrase wrong. People that are born again have a faith in Jesus. And if you have a faith in Jesus Christ today, notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Mark that. We use it so often here. We quote it so often. I want you to see it in your own Bibles. In Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Jesus defines being born again very narrowly and very specifically. It refers to a new spiritual birth that a human being receives when they place their faith in him. Did you know that the Christian life actually begins with death? Death to sin. Christian life begins with repentance and a turning away from sin and a turning to God. In repentance, we have turned from sin and turned to God. Christian life actually begins with death. Do you know that repenting from your sin is one of the most powerful choices that you can ever make? The power of choice is wonderful. To turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ, you become a new creation. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect, and it doesn't mean that you're sinless, that you'll never commit sin again. But what it does mean is as you turn your life to Jesus Christ, you are being changed day by day into his image. You are being brought into a place where, oh yeah, you're not sinless, but I'll tell you what, in your life, you know what you'll find? You'll find that in a practical way, you will sin less. You won't come to that place of perfection, this side of eternity, but you will find a growing disgust and distaste for sin and sinful things in your life. Once we were in Adam, and if you weren't here last week, you need to pick up the study and looking at what Adam's life had done. Chapter five, all the way into chapter six. When you look and put these studies together, you'll find that being a part of Adam's family has brought us all into sin. But what Adam did and what we have in Adam can be reversed. And then in Romans chapter six, look at verse one with me. Last time we were together, Paul asked the question, because when you live a life that's based in the grace of Jesus Christ, that it doesn't, your salvation isn't merited by your works or your performance, then this question probably will come up at some point in your life. 
He says in verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And I'll tell you why that's the wrong way to think, Christian. When you begin to start thinking of how much sin do you, can I really get away with and still get to heaven? Wrong kind of thinking. How close can I get to the very fires of hell and not be singed? Wrong question. No, because you have, you have a new life. Something radically changed in you when you repented from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It happened in an instant. The old you died and a new you was created immediately in Jesus Christ. As Paul asked the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers it in verse two, certainly not. No way. Don't even go there in your mind. And then he gives the justification. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And what did he do? But paint a picture for us through the waters of baptism. He said, look, your water baptism is a great picture of what happened to you when you were saved. You went into the waters and the waters represent life. You go into the waters and it represents the life of Jesus Christ. But then as you went out to the waters, to the pastor out there, and your pastor was praying with you, brought you under the water, that represented death. As your life went down under the waters and symbolically, that beautiful picture of having your sins washed away. And of course, you didn't stay under the water. You did what? You came right back up into the newness of life. That picture symbolizes what really happened in your life spiritually. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. If I could just get you to believe that. You remember I shared with you so much of my counseling, so much of opening the Bible with someone, so much of my time is spent trying to convince you that the Bible says what it says. I mean, it's right there. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. We pick up now in verse five, where we left off in Romans 6, as Paul continues to teach us that we're no longer slaves to sin. He says, for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse six, knowing this, mark that word know. We looked at it last week. This is something that we're to know and to understand and to grasp. This is something that we're to know and believe. There's actually four words in this this chapter that we're gonna look at. The first one is the word know, K-N-O-W, that you would know with certainty that these are the facts of your new relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Next to the word crucified, you could circle it and write these words, rendered inoperative. The old man was rendered inoperative by faith. The old man, the old Bill, the old Gladys, the old Ed died. That's a good thing, you know? That's a really good thing to have the old you no longer alive and kicking. Now, I know you might feel that way because of the tendency of your flesh and your old habit patterns to pull you away from the things of God. But the Bible says the old you died, gone, done away with. And then under it says done away. You can also write next to the words done away, put out of business. The old man was put out of business, crucified with Jesus Christ, that by faith now you are a new creation. Not only that, but notice he says at the end of verse six, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We should no longer be slaves of sin. We should no longer be slaves by sin. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are free from sin and death. 
you're free. Sin, as much as it pulls and tugs, is no longer your master. Did you know that sin is a terrible master? When we have testimony times on on our Wednesday night services, we learn just what a terrible master sin can be. Just how many lives have been destroyed by sinful habits and sinful behaviors and sinful patterns and sinful actions. Why? Because sin is always a hard taskmaster. Do you know that sin also pays a wage? We're going to learn in chapter 6 of Romans. The wages of sin is death. Sin always destroys. Be careful not to be self-deceived into thinking that only a little bit of sin is okay or only a little bit of compromise is okay and nobody else is getting hurt. It's just between me and God. Well, in the beginning there, you're being hurt, but I guarantee you, your sin has vast consequences to everyone that you touch and a few people that you don't even know yet. Sin is always harmful, always devastating. And you know, Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know that our old man was crucified so that the body of sin might be rendered inoperative, put out of business. But there's a struggle, isn't there? Galatians chapter five says that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, the two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. There's always a battle going on with that flesh sinful direction in our lives where there is an attraction to sin and there are times when we bite into it. We live in a society that likes to prop up individuals with what I would call, and I've seen the phrase before, a victim mentality. We live in a society that nobody ever wants to take responsibility for their own actions. It's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault that this has happened and this has happened and this has happened when when really the Bible places the responsibility upon us and the choices that we make. And it's amazing because so many people I talk to in in the Christian world, many of you I've had this discussion with where you, I'll share with you, you are free from sin and I'll have some response. Oh no, Ed. I can't get out from under it. Oh, no, Ed, it has a power in my life. Oh, no, Ed, you don't understand how hard the struggle is. Isn't it amazing that we can stand here, we can sit here today, and we can rejoice in our salvation? So, oh, God, you saved me. I'm gonna see you in heaven. We're gonna hang out for eternity. I love you, you love me, you've forgiven me of my sin, past, present, and future. But then when it comes into a practical life, the very same person that believes in their salvation doesn't believe that God has given you the power to get out from under sin. No, not even get out from under sin. The Bible says that you and I and Jesus Christ are no longer slaves to sin. So many times we're at where we are where we're at because we've chosen to be there. So you have a major struggle right now. You're choosing to stay in the struggle. You're in a place where, man, I just can't get out from under it. But you're not willing to turn the computer off, are you? You're not willing to yank the cable out of your home because you're not strong enough to resist the temptations, but you're struggling. The reality is, is that God has given you and I the power to overcome and not be a slave to sin. We're gonna learn in a future study that whoever you present yourself a slave to obey, that's whose slave you are. And there's only two choices, righteousness of God and unrighteousness of the world. Listen, you can be free today. You're free from sin. I say, oh, Pastor Ed, I mean, it's such a struggle. Indeed, there is a battle going on. But you make a decision today to say no to sin. You're gonna build on that decision. You know what you'll make tomorrow? A decision to say no to sin. You know what will happen on Friday? You'll make a decision to say no to sin. 
You know what happens when that pattern gets developed over a month, over six months, over a year? You begin to learn the truth that you and I are no longer slaves to sin. You and I are a new creation in Christ. One of the greatest freedoms that the Christian has, one of the greatest freedoms that you and I have in our new relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, is the power to say no. It's a powerful, powerful freedom. Paul often writes from a personal perspective. That's why I like studying the letters, why I like studying the Bible, because the Bible is full of real people going through real things, just like you and I do. And often Paul will write of his own experiences to help illustrate some of the things that he's trying to teach us. One of the things that Paul told the Corinthian church is how often he was imprisoned. He was literally imprisoned for the gospel many, many, many times. The decisions that were made around him, his connection to God, his desire to obey God landed him in prison. Flip over to Ephesians chapter three. I'll just show you one example of that. Paul was often physically in prison. And he writes to the church in, in, in Ephesus in chapter three, verse one, and he says, and he speaks of this imprisonment because while he's writing the letter to the Ephesians, he's in prison. It's one of known as one of the prison epistles. And he says in chapter three, verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So get the picture. Paul's sitting in prison. He's jotting a note down. And his perspective is, is I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I have a new life. I have a new master. And the reason that Paul's referring to here being a prisoner of Jesus Christ is because of his dedication to the gospel. He desired to share the gospel with a Jew and the Gentile and it landed him in prison physically. And here he is writing. Here he is seeing himself not as a prisoner of Nero, not as a prisoner of Rome, although they were the ones that imprisoned him. He looks at it and he says, I'm a prisoner to Jesus Christ. That's my life. I live for Jesus. And if it's being in prison, then that's where I'll go. If it's being free, then that's where I'll be. And he says, hey, I'm a prisoner. You know what? Listen, guys, I meet far too many Christians that are prisoners of the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Prisoners of all sorts of things because what has happened now is that sin has become so attractive that the temptation has been bit and too many Christians are prisoners of the wrong things for the wrong reasons. They're not able to say, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ at this point because they have found themselves in a difficult situation. You know, one of them that I see in our day and age is people that are Christians that are prisoners of debt just so overwhelmed and buried in debt that by the time their paycheck comes or the direct deposit comes through, the question is, what can we do for the Lord, honey? It's what bills can we dig ourselves out from under? And what I'm talking about here isn't the kind of debt that is used in order to use unrighteous mammon for the kingdom of God. I'm talking about this throwaway debt from a society that says, get what you want, when you want it. It doesn't matter if you have any money. I fell into that. I know exactly what that's like. There were credit card companies giving me credit when I didn't even have a job. And I would want things and I'd go out, I think I want this, but I don't have any money. But hey, Mr. Visa said, go for it. And I had to learn the hard way. Not only did I learn with Visa, but then I did get a job once and somebody, they hooked me up with an American Express. Nobody told me at the end of the month, the whole bill was due. It's like, oh man. I remember when we first got married, we didn't have anything, Marie and I. We just had this little apartment. We had a 
milk crate that I was an unbeliever that I had taken from the market and that's our TV sat on the milk crate. We had a, I was an unbeliever, you got that? Okay, I, I don't do that anymore. Any milk crates I have, I've returned them. We had a little milk crate with the TV. Uh, our parents had given us a bed as a gift for our wedding. We had a little lawn chair. I mean, we had nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. And one of the things we had was this little cheesy radio. They didn't play anything. And so I remember a Circuit City opening up nearby. And I'm like, hey, let's go. I'm going to go look at some stereos. So I got into my bug and drove over there. Got in. And this was the time when the speakers and stereos were like this big, man. They were huge. They were big. And, and I wanted a stereo for our apartment. We didn't have anything. No money, no nothing. And I decided on the biggest, most expensive stereo because they said I could charge it. And I said, great. I want that one right there. I mean, it was so big and so expensive. I had to call Marie up and say, hey, honey, I just bought a stereo. I need you to come down. She said, come down for what? Because it doesn't fit in my car, man. There's so many things. You need to come and help me bring it home. And that was the beginning of a pattern in our life that we were debt after debt after debt until we got saved. And we realized that, you know what? God wants us to be good stewards with what we have. And we need to get out of debt. If you're in debt today and you're in debt because of some bad reasons, some bad decisions, you need to call us and let us help you. We have some resources that we can come alongside of you and help you make good decisions to get out of debt. It's just the world. The world says, buy it today. You don't have to pay for it till 2050. You know, don't pay, don't worry about it. And you're like, that's great. No interest, no finance charges. I could pay for it and hey, the rapture is gonna happen in a couple of years anyway, give me that. I want a whole bedroom set, that's what I want. Give me the whole bedroom set. I'll take that, 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 2050, hey. But what they don't tell you is that you start earning interest, that interest starts accruing to your account as soon as the breath comes out when you say yes. And it's not like the old days when they accrued interest monthly. Now it's daily, compounded daily. They break it down so that as you accrue interest, no payments are required from you. No payments are required and no interest is really expected from you until the day it's due whatever year that is. And so when the day it's due, see, they understand something about us, that if we're that kind of mentality, they're gonna wait till way back then to pay and know that they realize that in that time, there's a good chance that we're gonna buy something else and we're gonna buy something else and we're gonna buy something else all in this credit to the point where when it does come due, we can't pay it off because that's the deal. If you pay it all off, no interest. If you can't pay it all off, let's say you get to the end of the term and they say something like, well, I, I, I can't pay it all off. I just want the minimum payment. And they go, oh, send the minimum payment. Yeah, please do. You know, as a matter of fact, we'll make the minimum payment $5 for you if that's what it takes. We'll send somebody over to pick it up for you. Just send in the minimum payment. You know why? Because at that moment, all the interest for all the years they said they weren't gonna charge you are dumped right into your account and you're so far in over your head that it feels overwhelming. You've become a prisoner of debt, prisoner of the wrong thing for the wrong reason. Not only that, I also find that people are prisoners of bad habits. And instead of just dealing with the bad habits, instead of believing what the Bible says about being freed from sin, there's all sorts of excuses, there's all sorts of reasons why I'm this way, why I can't change. When the Bible says you're free from sin, you're free from it. You're free. You have tremendous freedom in the Lord. Paul understood that. In Christ, we have tremendous freedom. Freedom from sin's control of our lives. 
This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of Romans right now. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Calvary Aurora. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. It's not a bad idea from time to time to sit down with a mature, older believer in Christ and hear what they have to say about the Christian pilgrimage. Well, you might say that's the sort of wisdom you'll glean from Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. He shares in it what he wishes he had known about ministering to others when he began his walk with the Lord. Ministry, he says, takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. And as the costs of being on the radio are growing, we're looking to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry, either through a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that will do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in Romans here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.